Did you know that Georgia's General Assembly has tremendous impact on the education of our students? Gold Dome legislation is the topic of discussion in this episode of The Inside Scoop. Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of The Inside Scoop. I'm David Owen. If you haven't already, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button so you don't miss out. If you've ever heard the phrase, the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing, you've got a pretty good understanding of the reputation that government entities have when it comes to communication. But years ago, Cobb sought to make sure that didn't happen with our representation at the state level. One person is our boots on the ground under the Gold Dome, and that's our compliance and legislative affairs officer, Gretchen Walton. Gretchen, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Great to be here. So first, let's just start with a general description of of what you do for the school district. What's your role in general? So I serve as the liaison to our legislators um, and I track legislation. And then during the off season, I work with our legislators to um, make sure they're um, ready and, and going into the session really informed about operational impacts and needs. And then once legislation drops, um, I really protect against unintended consequences and sometimes um, really support legislation strongly and sometimes try to help them perfect it so it doesn't have a negative impact on our kids. Okay, so uh, you said several things in in that that I kind of want to chase down. When you say uh, a bill drops, can you go in detail about what do you mean by a bill drops? So uh, one of the funny things that I first learned when I was down at the Gold Dome is by law, it literally has to be dropped in a hopper. And so (laughs) it's a paper copy. Um, and people rush and like, you know, snap photos of it in the hopper to see, to get the first, you know, glance. Um, but they literally drop the bill in the hopper, which is where that saying comes from. It's almost like going to the post office in, in the old days of... Uh... Well, except it's like, I mean, it's, it's it's really funny in 2023. It's like literally like a wire basket on the on the counter, right? Very, very and they just, secure. Well, oh, yes, yes, very secure. And they just to drop it in there. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people around, so it is secure, but still. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, w- w- you were talking about uh, preparing our representatives uh, and, and senators, I, I guess, um, for before the, the session begins. And you guys have already started for this year, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Yes. And, and I should say they, because you don't actually get a vote. Um, <laughs> although it'd be great if you did. That would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I know that the, is it the school board that meets with our representation under the dome before? So we, we all play a part in it. There is a, um, in early December every year, uh, the Chamber of Commerce actually hosts an event where um, a whole bunch of groups, I mean, everyone from our school district to um, the sheriff's office uh, and like other Marietta City, um, Kennesaw State, Chat Tech, um, whole bunch of entities, Wellstar usually, um, they come and they talk about their legislative priorities. So we basically present to the delegation and give them an opportunity to ask questions, mm-hmm. um, which is why our board typically votes in October or November on what our priorities will be for the next session so that we then can carry them to the delegation in December. All right. So uh, unless something big happens um, 
how much change happens with our legislative priorities? It seems like schooling is schooling. Kids need to learn. Are there a lot of variables in, in that or is that pretty consistent? Uh, they definitely change every year, but we've tried intentionally to keep the big buckets. You can't see me make my <laughs> um, air quotation quotes, marks. Air, but, um, air quotes. The big buckets. Uh, we try to keep those the same. So those for the last couple of years have been financial sustainability, educational access and accuracy and accountability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are big, big concerns that give us umbrellas to address almost every piece of educational legislation. Um, and then we put our own bullets under those. But um, as far as the board being aware of the actions we're taking, that that is why we have the big Buckets. Kind of the, the big picture of, mm-hmm. of each of those areas. Okay, so I, I don't want to, um, no offense, bore the listener too much with, <laughs> <laughs> with the minutiae, but um, financial sustainability. I remember years ago in the, like, oh, I don't know, 2000, well, the recession, really, 2008, mm-hmm. uh, 2009-ish mm-hmm. time, it, it was a big problem that monies would go from us to the state and then the state didn't reciprocate with funding us fully, right? So we've been fully funded three times since 2003 in 20 years. Oh my gosh. We've been fully funded three times. But the reality is public education basically gets half the state budget. Um, And that is, right? So on the one hand, we say we're not fully funded. On the other, like, hey, we're getting a a large percentage of state monies. and, and, you know, we obviously applaud what's been done in, in the last couple of years because when COVID hit, yes, they did then actually, we were fully funded that year and then they made some cuts. Um, but there has been an intentional um, investment in education, in teacher raises and things like that. Um, yeah. And the budget that just dropped last week. So little fun fact, um, by law, the budget, the first, the governor's version, the first version has to be out in the first five days of session. Oh. So you can always expect that. Um, and the governors, they actually surprised uh, almost all of us uh, by having a teacher raise in there. And we were like, oh, Great. Um, wow, that's great. It's balanced out a little bit with the budget also has some um, some employer cost raises to healthcare. So not employee, so don't panic anyone. Right. Um, employer raises, so it increases. So it, we're, we're trying to, you know, navigate that and figure out what it actually means financially, but we're really, really excited yeah. about the, the teacher raise. And the coffers at the state level have, have been very healthy, yes. right? Yes. Um, uh, at the local level, I, I realize you're not the finance person here, right. so I'm not going to say it all the time. <laughs> say it all the time. Well, I'm not our C- CFO, but I, I do trust what he tells me. So here's yeah, what he, I know so far. He's pretty good, and you, mm-hmm. you he's great. do well mm-hmm. to just uh, defer to him because right. he's he's uh, top notch. Well, usually we know something's coming. I mean, partially for PR reasons, they put it out there. Yeah. Um. I I think almost everyone in the state, including the really big advocacy groups, was like, "Oh, <laughs> yay!" <laughs> so, um. But there, are every every time they do this, we then have to say, well, are so and so like who's included, right? Yeah. So we have to figure out who's included from the state level. Um, we also pay our teachers um, a decent amount higher than the state um, salary schedule, which mm-hmm. is great. Um, That's how you keep the talent. 
It's, right. it's how we keep the best people in our classrooms. Absolutely. Yeah. Plus, I mean, the reality is it costs more to live in Cobb County than it does in Tulliver County. Well, so, yeah, um, that's true. I mean, it's just a, a reality. Um, but we're, yeah. we're going to, we'll see. I you mean, think it costs a, more. That's in, on the next episode to see what happens <laughs> with the no, raises. We're, we're not doing cliffhangers on this podcast. <laughs> oh, I was trying. <laughs> um, so what, what's the second priority? You said there were three. Three buckets, right. So okay. educational access, um, it, it really is about making sure, first of all, that we have the best teachers in the classroom uh-huh. and that kids have the access to the best teachers. Um, but then also that um, as far as having some differentiation and choices for kids internally, uh-huh. um, you know, there's a big push talking about school choice. They're really like when people outside of schools talk, they're often talking about sending money to places that have no accountability, right? So vouchers and things like that, where there literally is no accountability. We like to talk about what are the opportunities for kids? So, you know, can we, as we've seen, like we've, we've expanded our digital learning, our, we support our magnets. We, I mean, we have all sorts of, we actually have school choice as to where people go. Um, And so that's part of educational access, but you'll see from year to year, um, there's almost always one or two that have to do with how we support our teachers. Cause again, it's access to the best teachers. What we believe in Cobb is what the heart of education. Um, so this year TRS is as always, it is always going to be on here. Pro- probably it is one of the things that comes up every year. Sorry. Teachers retirement system. Oh yeah. I was so, going to hit you with that <laughs> question. Right. So teacher retirement system, it is, it's amazing for our teachers. And mm-hmm. while teachers don't typically, um, make as much in take home pay as some people who are as qualified, you know, same, in the same qualifications yeah. in the private sector. We do have an incredible retirement system and because it is so healthy, it is often under attack um, because people are uh, like, oh, well, and because the state actually has to make employer contributions, right? So it has to be budgeted for every year. Um, so, and, and it, it's like they, the conversations are kind of like how they want to dabble with it. Like, and oh. some people actually work in that field too, right? So there's been talk about making it a hybrid system. So, you know, we're a full pension system. And there's been talk about, well, could we do almost like a, a 401k and also a pension kind of blend? Yeah. Um, there's there's just, I, I, I could go into every single session. I So I go to committee meetings as part of my job. What a joy. Um, yeah. <laughs> really fun. Um, and the ones that I go to most regularly are education and youth, right? Obviously. Um, but also retirement, um, because every year and it's not just teachers retirement, there's other, you know, there's other systems that we have people that touch on, but that's tremendous. What's our third point, our third bucket, as you put it, So accuracy and accountability. And that one's been there for a couple of years, um, partially because there were some adjustments that needed to be made uh, literally in, in the accountability of schools and those measures. Um, so that was a couple of years ago. Now, now we... Let me stop you at this point because you're you're heavily into that, that end of things, but a, a lot of the listeners might not understand what you mean by accountability. What kind of measures are we talking about? You look at the first one, apply the same standards of accountability to all recipients of public money for education. It's something I say every single year in committee when I testify. And, you know, we are against diversion of funds from public education at all. Like it, the constitution says that you are guaranteed a public education. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say that you're guaranteed money to go someplace else. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, Stands to reason. And so uh, as 
we have had some programs put in place in this state with um, where funds are allowed to be taken someplace else. We just keep saying, well, our accountability measures are high as they should be, right? Like people need need to know that kids are getting educated, that they're safe, all those things. Right. There are basically the, almost no accountability measures for public funds going to say private school tuition. Really? Um, including, for example, um, when kids get eligible for the special needs scholarship, um, if a kid is made eligible for that in first grade, there is no revisiting of whether the kid still has, say, an IEP and is actually eligible for special ed or for 504. Uh, so they can graduate from high school with those monies intact and could have become a student who has exited the program. It's, it's uh, again, this goes back to accuracy and accountability. Right. I mean, that's right. That's so very... shouldn't someone check, right? Yeah. I mean, like, and, and not to be flippant about it, but really, like, we we check, right? We're, we're not going to turn in numbers to the state where we're getting higher funding for a student right. when they no longer fit the category for which they're funded, right? So, so how, how those uh, funds are spent by the individual. Uh, are somewhat up in the air, but the school district is held accountable for its end. Correct. Okay. Okay, so one of the things I've, I've heard a lot about lately is a push for um, private school vouchers. And I understand that there are ways that people have found to be able to manipulate the money end of it to be able to get their child into a private school. Is, is that the sort of thing that is a, a, a consistent educational challenge that is people trying to get public monies for a private schooling situation? So there's big money in the lobbying sector for that. Most of education, because of laws, doesn't have a lot of lobbying money. Yeah. Um, and lobbying money, just so everyone knows, I mean, the biggest use of it is contributions to campaigns. That is what people yeah. do. And, and to be clear, you're not considered a, a lobbyist. No, you are a I am liaison. Not, I'm not. And also... Um, we can't by like we don't contribute to campaigns. We we can't right. And if you know, I feel like I've done my job when a legislator texts me and is like, "Hey, is HB whatever um, a good idea? Are you guys okay with it?" Right. So they trust me to know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so I can respond. Yeah, that's terrible. Please tell everyone that's terrible. I will make sure everyone understands it's terrible. Or, yeah, no problem for us. You know, and, and that is a necessary relationship, which, you know, in that side of it, and, and the reason I, you know, I'm not, I don't ever want to be called a lobbyist. I just think some people think of it, like, in a really negative light. And yeah. my job is to inform. Mm-hmm. We see, I mean, we literally see the bills every year. There are true believers who really believe that money leaving school districts is not actually harmful to the district because they think it's going for kids who, you know, if they tie it to the kids that were in the mm-hmm. district. Um, it, again, operationally, that's not really how it works, right? Like taking one kid out of a classroom is 25. You still need a teacher for the other 24, right? You still right. need a school building. You still need, right? So so it, it doesn't operationally work the way uh, legislators think about it, right? Yeah, there's I think, a certain baseline of that money that's correct. essential for any correct. education. Correct, correct. Um, so it's, it's very interesting because it, it just, 
goes back to the idea that they're really, there is no accountability when it comes to it and they just want to take it. There's a little bit of a false narrative that they like to put out there that it is really to help children living in poverty. Well, if anyone takes the time to look at private school tuition and then look at what we, how we fund kids in public school, it, it's not, I mean, it doesn't, it's just not possible. It, yeah. it's, it's not, unless, unless people are gonna kick in a lot of other scholarship money, it's not gonna help a child living yeah. in poverty. What is your biggest hot topic under the gold dome now? So going into the session, um, and if you have watched board meetings or for our staff, been in some of our um, big principal meetings, you've heard the superintendent talk about it. Um, one of the big concerns coming out of last session was funding for GNETS, which is the Georgia Network of Educational and Therapeutic Supports. Just rolls off the tongue, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, but what G- is that? GNET supports our students with our most um, uh, profound um, behavioral and emotional needs. Okay. Um, it's a, it's, 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 they have to have an IEP, so students who are served through special education. Um, and it's around the state. Um, we happen to run our own program. We also serve Marietta City and Douglas County students in our program. So it's a, it's a, we, we run it, but then they contribute um, to have their students served through our program. Mm-hmm. Um, but last year in the budget, they were going to change the funding model for GNETs. And in changing the funding model from a grant model to um FTE, full-time equivalent, which is based just on kids. On the number of kids you got. Right. It would make our program that we would take a 70%, 70% cut in funding. So these are really our most vulnerable kids. Um, And it would mean, as I now have said in committee, um, you know, you're, you're taking the therapeutic supports away from from the whole program, which is the point of the program. Yeah. Um, so I went and talked to them and um, about GNETs in particular, and they genuinely believed that it was it was going to be the same almost the funding, and so that has prompted the DOE has put together a report about it. I mean, we've made lots of progress. I'm really excited, um, and hopefully, they're not going to change the the funding model because it's the model that we're worried about. Uh-huh. Um, but it's so important because it literally, I, I, I can't state enough how severe the impact would be to a program that is essential to our kids. That, that has been the number one. Um, some other things have come to light in the last week that I'm not at liberty to discuss yet, which depending on how they unfold, may we may shift <laughs> what our number one um, priority is. Uh, we, we're trying to handle the things before the legislation drops. So that's part of what I do is people confer with us and say, hey, what do you think? Yeah. Um, Headed off at the past, so to speak. Yeah, and, and an example of that was um, last year, the Parents' Bill of Rights, when it was being put together, there's a piece in that where you can basically opt out of having pictures of your kids taken. Sure. Well, it, it said, the way it was originally written, essentially it was going to not allow us to have um, security video in our schools and we were like um that's not gonna work that's not what that's they a safety meant problem right and it's again like unintended consequences right yeah it wasn't what what they meant to do and and they literally like i i spent 
15 minutes with someone who had enough power to be like, oh, oh, you're right. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is problematic. <laughs> so, um, and you're an attorney, right? I am. Okay. I am. So it does help to have an attorney's eye on, on phrases and. 100%. Um, reading the legislation, it is, you know, it, you put an and or an or or a must or a shall. Or a comma. You, or, or a may, right? Or a comma. You put the wrong thing in the wrong place and it literally changes what it says. Yeah. Um, and, and I talk a lot about perfecting the language. Um, and I probably sound very lawyerly then, but, um, (laughs) you know, it's so important to perfect the language because sometimes it's so ambiguous that as a district, we're like, well, what are we supposed to do? Like, it literally isn't clear. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's not great either. (laughs) So, so that's one of the things, like, sometimes you just pop off a a text or an email like, Hey, (laughs) well, what can listeners do if they want to stay engaged in a particular piece of legislation? Is there a particular uh, resource that they could turn to, to stay on top of things? Um, So the general assembly webpage is always a good place. They actually have all the bills. You can, there's a, there's a daily essentially tracker. You can see Mm -hmm. what's dropped, what hasn't. Um, As far as knowing who their legislators are, openstates.org is the best place to go as far as you can put in your, talking with my hands again on the radio, but that's okay. Um, You can put in your address, your physical address, and it will actually tell you who your legislators are. Legislators genuinely respond, and I don't necessarily mean like they'll respond to your email. I mean, they're actions will often be influenced on something where they're up in the air. Hearing from constituents actually makes a difference. I have had more than one legislator tell me, oh, I got a bunch of emails. And then they, some of them even reach out to me because of that, right? Like yeah. they're like, what, what is this about that all these people are emailing me? Um, so that's the power of, of the just the citizenry, right? We can we can send an email and say you can be engaged, one hundred percent, and and it matters. Well, we've been listening to Cobb's compliance and legislative affairs officer Gretchen Walton. Gretchen, thank you so much for taking the time to try to get us up to speed. I know it's a whole bunch of stuff that <laughs> you probably can't convey in fifteen or twenty minute podcasts, but uh, we really appreciate you at least trying. <laughs> and listeners, you can learn more about this by checking out the links in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe or follow whatever your podcast provider calls it, and that will ensure that you don't miss out on the next episode. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Inside Scoop, a podcast produced by the Cobb County School District.